All right, I am so excited about starting this series with you called Fire and Ice. We have, all of us, have relationships in our lives, um, friends, family, co-workers, children, spouses, and we all at different times have to navigate some pretty difficult things. Now, what I'm going to be sharing with you over the course of the next six weeks are some things that I have been trying to learn myself. Things that I have been studying, people have been teaching me, and I'm going to do my best to, to deliver this, to transmit this, to present this to you as best as I can. Because I do believe this. I believe that over the course of six weeks that we can learn some things together. Some things that we can use, some steps that we can take, and we can use these in our relationships and by this time next year, the potential is there that our relationships can be very, very different. I do believe that. You see, everything that we know about friendships, everything that we know about our work relationships, about our family relationships, everything we know about relationships is post-fall. That means after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. That's all we know. And as soon as sin happened, right behind that came something else. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, it says this. At that moment, the moment they sinned, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Shame. Shame happened as soon as they sin. Now, what does shame look like? Now, some of you came just for this next, these next two statements today. And like you're like, I'm done. I needed to hear that. Guilt in our lives says this. I did something bad. But shame tells you so much more. Shame says to us, I am bad. Guilt says I did something bad, but shame says I am bad. And shame, what does it feel like? We all know, really, it makes us want to disappear away from people. It makes us want to disconnect from anything that's healthy, from everyone, really. Shame can make you angry and make you want to lash out at other people. Shame can cause you to blame yourself because you don't feel worthy of love from other people. Or shame can make you blame other people, saying it's their fault that I feel this way. Shame can also fuel our addictions because we're looking for some kind of behavior that can make me feel normal, that can make me feel something, anything other than shame. It gets anything that could give me temporary relief, like food. <laughs> like uh, food, substance abuse, um, uh, even sex. Anything at all that can make you feel something other than shame has the potential to become addiction in your life. You see, shame leads us all to do something so what did Adam and Eve do when they felt shame? How did they cope? The Bible says as soon as they felt that shame, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. 
As soon as they sinned, they felt shame. And as soon as that happened, guess what? They began to try to cover it up. They immediately began trying to cope with this new thing called shame. They began to cope with these new feelings that they had that were shame and they wanted to cover them up. They wanted to get rid of them. They wanted uh, this feeling to go away. And so they began to cover up. Immediately, they began searching for ways to protect themselves from this new horrible feeling of vulnerability. Immediately, they began to become uh, broken people. And immediately, that sin and shame broke their relationships. And immediately, they had heaped upon them shame. And that started the great cover-up right there. And you know what? For us today, shame still drives our behavior today. We still today feel shame. Today we are still broken by shame. Today our relationships still suffer and are broken because of shame. And today we still try to escape all of the feelings that shame brings. And we still try to protect ourselves against all of those feelings and against that shame. So we all try in some way to cope. Now, here's one of the biggest ways that we try to cope. We don't cover up with fig leaves. Nope, 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 we don't. We cover up instead, for us, we cover up with armor. That's what we use. We cover up with armor. We pick up a piece of armor, and we pick up a piece at a time, and over the course of time, we begin to suit up with armor. And we put it on a piece at a time. And we master this over the course of our lives. Your children are learning to do it right now. Not, not in 2 by 2 I don't mean that. But in our lives, at our, in our homes, your children are learning how to suit up with armor to protect themselves. And we've mastered it by our ages. And a piece at a time, we put it on. Here are some of the ways that we armor up to protect ourselves in our lives. One of the ways is we pick up the armor and we blame other people. We blame them for the way we're feeling. We don't claim responsibility. It's not my fault. It's they made me feel that way. That's armor. We call others out. We'll look at people and we'll scrutinize them and we'll say, ah, yeah, look at that. Look at look the way they're acting. Look what they're doing. It's ridiculous. And we judge them and we point at them. But so often, some of the very things that we're judging that person for are the very things we're struggling with on the inside. And so to combat our shame, we point out their shame. That's a piece of armor. We spend great amounts of time and energy, here's armor, trying to convince the people around us, no, really, I am valuable. No, really, I, I am valuable. We try to convince them. We're afraid that someone might see us as having done something wrong or said something wrong. And so we have a piece of armor. We just stay quiet. We never contribute. We just settle back into the background and we don't take part. We let life happen around us. We avoid the tough conversations. That's a piece of armor. 
Because we would rather just be comfortable so we avoid that tough conversation that we need to have with somebody. We don't give honest feedback. That's armor. We expect them just to read our minds. That's what we expect. They're just going to read my mind. Eventually they'll get it. If I send enough hints, they're going to get it. So we don't give good honest feedback. Here's a big one. We start trying to fix the wrong problem for the wrong reasons while letting the real problem continue to resurface month after month, year after year. We never address it. We, talk, we focus instead all of our energy on these wrong problems because we don't want to address that. So we have a fear of doing something wrong. We stay in the background. You know, one of the big pieces of armor we use is that we don't listen to the right people who are telling us some really good information, some good feedback, but for us it's uncomfortable. We don't want to hear it because what they're telling us is uncomfortable. So we don't listen to them, but instead we listen to someone else, the wrong person, because they agree. <laughs> they agree with what we want to do. So we listen to them. That's armor. And here's a big one. When I heard this, I was like, ugh, you nailed me. Rather than spending a reasonable amount of time acknowledging and dealing with these feelings and emotions when they show up, instead, we spend an unreasonable amount of time managing problem behaviors in us and in other people. That's a big one. And these are just a few examples. There are many, many examples of armor. Many examples. And we think that all of this stuff is actually protecting us, but the truth is it's hurting us. Because it's making these problems we're talking about last longer, allowing them to cut us deeper. But Paul says, no, we don't have to live that way. Paul says there's a better way. He says in 1 Corinthians, he says, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Now, to give us a visual for what we're talking about today, I'm going to use a snapshot of a historical event, something that actually happened. It's recorded for us in the Old Covenant. But here's my disclaimer. This was not placed, this piece of history was not placed in the Old Covenant so that I could use it as this example in a relationship, okay? That's not why it's there. There's not a relationship example in this example I'm getting ready to use. I'm using it as a visual. So I'm going to borrow this Old Testament historical experience. I'm going to borrow it because it does paint for us a nice visual picture of what we're talking about today. So let me catch you up with this visual picture. God freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. You might remember that story. Moses led them out. And God eventually led them to the land that he promised that they could have. It's called the promised land. They lived there for a long, long, long time. It's still there now. And, but eventually, many generations later, many years later, they said, the Israelites said, we want a king like all the other nations. 
God was like, oh man, here we go, here we go. This is not yet my plan for you. This is not the time, but you're acting a fool. I'm going to let you have a king. So he let him have a king. This king's name was King Saul. Now this is where we pick up the history, the story, this little historical event that actually happened while King Saul was king in Israel. While he was king in Israel, they had a lot of trouble with another nation called the Philistines. And this was one of those times that they were having a struggle with the Philistines. The, here's the visual. The Philistine army had gathered on a mountain ridge. Now, it's not like a mountain ridge like in Colorado, not even like the Ozark Mountains. This is a small, really, a ridge of hills is what this is really like. So they gathered on this hilly ridge. The whole army, the Philistine army, they gathered. Now, Israel knew they were in trouble, so they had to muster uh, an army. They didn't have you know, enough, so they had to go into Israel and just get sons and bring them in, sons of the men, and they brought them in, and that was their army. And they set up on a hillside, a mountain ridge, opposite. Now, in between the two ridges was a valley. Now, get this in your mind. This is really kind of cool to me to think about. So you have one mountain ridge, and it kind of arcs a little bit. You have another mountain ridge that comes out and kind of curves that way a little bit. And so these two armies gathered on these two mountain ridges facing each other. And down below was a valley. It was almost like they were in a stadium, like a football stadium. And the armies were gathered, and down below was the playing field, the arena down below. That's what it looked like. And once a day, for 40 days, there would be one Philistine soldier who would walk down the hilly ridge into the valley, and he would face the Israelites. Now, this was not just any normal soldier. This was their champion, which meant he was the greatest warrior in all of the Philistine army. And he would walk down there, and he was not just any warrior. (laughs) This warrior was nine feet tall. He was a giant according to anyone's standard. And he would walk down and he would shout across from the arena to the Israelites and he would say something like, send me your champion. Send me your champion. Let's fight to the death. And whoever wins, whoever wins this battle, the whole army will win. And for 40 days, there was no champion to be found anywhere in Israel. All that you could find in Israel was shame and fear. One day this teenager walks up. He just meanders up. He's there on purpose. He's there to check on his brothers. They weren't soldiers. (laughs) His family, they were shepherds. They weren't soldiers. They had to get them from everywhere just to have men. So he was there to check on his brothers. And he walks up and he finds out what's happening And he was like, I'll do it. I'll step into the arena. You see, it is in the arena where all the work is going to take place. It is in the arena where shame is going to be defeated and freedom is going to be secured. It will be inside the arena. It is in the arena where all of the action 
happens. And it's going to take great courage for David to step into the arena. Now, it's interesting, though. If someone is not in the arena, then they're up there in the stands. David's the one that's going to go down in the arena, but they, everyone else, they're all up in the stands. And they're simply spectators. The crowd, they are in the stands. They're spectators. The critics, all the people writing articles about what David's going to do and how well or how horribly he is going to do, all the critics, they're in the stands too. None of them are in the arena. Listen to this quote. This is a quote by, by Roosevelt in 1910. Here's what he says about the critic. It's not the critic who counts. No, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. No, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and who comes up short again and again, he says. Because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who, who neither know victory nor defeat. That is Theodore Roosevelt. Now, it is going to take courage for us to step down out of the stands and into the arena. And Paul tells us there is a better way to do life. There is a much better way for us to do relationships. It doesn't matter if it's a friendship or if it is a family member or a spouse or a son or a daughter or a co-worker. There's a better way to do relationships. And if relationships have not been working, he said there's a better way and here it is. Here's the first part of it here. Corinthians 13. Paul says if if I could speak all the languages of the earth and, and of the angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He said, if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such a faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave Everything I have to the poor, even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I 
would have gained nothing. The better way that Paul is talking about is love. I know that sounds so passe. But it is going to take love for you to have the courage to step into the arena with someone that you are in a relationship with. Now here is where the analogy breaks down. David was stepping into the arena to face this Philistine champion, his enemy. But you are not stepping into the arena with that other person who is your enemy. They are not your enemy. You have an enemy together. And it's not each other. It's not that person. You are stepping into the arena with that person, not your enemy. You are not stepping in to do bloody battle with them to the death. The real enemy is not that person, but the real enemy is shame. You are only looking for the death of shame and everything that shame brings. And the loving thing for you to do is to step into that arena with everyone in your life that you care about. And it will take courage. It will take a commitment for you to care for that person. It will take a commitment for you to learn to connect with that person in a new way. And through this series, we are inviting you to courage, to commit to care, to commit to connect in a new way with that person in your life. And it is all driven by love. So, here walks up this teenager. Teenager named David. He walks up. <laughs> he walks up. Awkward teenager. He says, I'll step down into the arena. I'll be your champion, Israel. I'll go face that Philistine champion, that nine foot tall giant. I'll do it. But before David steps into the arena, he meets with Saul, the king. Now Saul happens to be over six feet tall. He's, he's over six feet tall, which the Bible says he was head and shoulders taller above everyone in Israel. They were a lot shorter back then. But King Saul was a tall man, not as tall as the Philistine champion, but he was tall. Six foot tall. He had a full suit of armor and he takes David and he says, all right, David, let's put, put this armor on. Listen, it's going to be ridiculous. You're going to lose. There's no way. At least you can last a little bit longer. And they put, he put, takes all of his armor and he places it on this little teenager compared to Big Saul. Little teenager. He puts all of his armor on. And he has it. He's, it's all on. And it doesn't fit him. It's designed for a man. A big man. And here's little David. And he realizes there's no way. I can't, I, I, I can't wear this. I can't move around. I can't do what I need to do. This is not going to work. I, I, I can't use all of this armor. He realizes he cannot go into the arena all armored up. He won't be able to accomplish what he needs to accomplish with this burden of all of this self-protective gear, this armor. He can't do it. 
So he simply takes it off. And David leaves it on the ground. He takes it off. Over the course of this six weeks, if you are going to step into this relationship arena that we're talking about, you're going to have to learn. And we're going to try to help you learn. You're going to have to learn how to drop all of the armor that we have been wearing for our whole lives that we learned and picked up a piece at a time and crafted it to protect us. We think, and we think it has been protecting us, but it has actually been making things worse. You see, with all of this protective armor that we put on in our relationships, we can't grow. Under all of that burden of armor, we can't grow. And it is exhausting to carry and to tote and to lug around day in and day out. All of that armor, it's exhausting. It takes enormous energy for us to maintain our self-protective armor. So we have a choice that we can make. We can choose to remove all of this armor and build these relationships or we can choose to stay armored and battle to the death the death of our relationship I need to pause and say something when we talk about entering into this arena it takes two people you cannot enter this arena and affect the change that needs to happen by yourself. The enemy of shame, it's going to take both of you in the arena. There's a couple of interesting things that happened to David. The first is, is David showed up to check on his brothers and he found out what was going on. He, he hadn't even said anything yet, really, just getting information. And his brother hears his voice and comes over, and his brother begins to really verbally abuse David. I mean, he really just lays it on, and he's just hounding him and criticizing David, and he's hurling insults at David, harassing David, putting David down. It was relentless. And in just a little bit, David then goes and talks to the king, King Saul. He says, I'll go in, he says. And then King Saul begins to criticize David and to put David down and to hurl some insults at David. All the reasons why he can't do and he shouldn't do. This is what's so interesting, really, that David's brothers didn't have the courage to step into the arena. Neither did King Saul have the courage to step into the arena. But David's brothers and King Saul had no problem at all pointing out all the reasons why David shouldn't step into the arena either. You see, they were huge cowards. But they were even better critics. But remember this. 
you won't find a critic in the arena. They have their own arenas that they need to enter. But guess what? You won't find them in their arena. The critics, no. Uh -uh. They're in your stands. You won't find a critic in the arena. And guess what? You won't find people with courage in the stands. Do you know what that means for you and for me? We are going to have to make a choice. If we're going to get down into that arena, we first have to make a choice. We have to choose whose opinions of us actually matter. We have to choose. Are we going to keep listening to and being affected and impacted by all the armored up people in the stands who are refusing to go down into the arenas of their own? Are we going to continue to be impacted by what they are saying? What their opinions are of us? The very people who don't have the courage to step into their own arenas. We have to decide whose opinions of us really matter. And of those that really matter, we need to take their feedback and bring it in close to our lives and hold on to it until we learn from their feedback. But from those who are in the stands, whose opinions of us don't matter, here are some do's and don'ts. Don't grab their hurtful comments from the stands and bring those comments close to your heart by reading and rereading the text messages that they sent to you. Don't continue to bring in that nasty email that they sent you and read it over and over and over again. Don't do it. Don't rethink those conversations that you had with them and replay those conversations over and over and in your mind, rehearsing your comeback. Oh, I should, I should have said this. I should have said that. Don't do it. Don't toy around. Don't play around with their comments by rehearsing them over and over in your mind. Don't pull their hatefulness close to your heart. But do this. Let that hurtfulness, let that comment drop to the ground. And don't pick up your armor Again, because of it. Don't pick up your armor, but do this. Leave that meanness on the ground. Don't even take the, the time to, to try to disprove it, to try to stomp it or kick it away. It does not deserve your time and your energy. Just step over it and continue being courageous in your arena.
And I'm praying that over the course of these six weeks, you're going to realize that picking back up the armor is going to be too great of a price to pay. So, to help us make our way to our arenas, we have to choose whose opinion of us matters and whose does not matter. And it is such a balance. Because as we said a couple times in the last series, we can't live our lives without the feedback from others. But we cannot engage with all the feedback. So we have to choose what feedback are we going to engage with. If we engage with the wrong feedback, then we are going to get hurt. And then that will lead us to put back on our armor one piece at a time. And we will put it on one piece at a time until we have fully assembled all of our armor again that we think is protecting ourselves. We will add more and more armor so that we don't feel that pain or that hurt that they're trying to inflict on us. But we fool ourselves into thinking that that armor makes us invincible. That armor protects us. But the truth is, we end up with all of that armor killing ourselves. It is a death to self. A death to who God created you to be. A death of that person. And it is paid for by self-protection. It is paid for by putting on all of that armor. And that seals off our heart. It seals off our emotions. Men wear the most. The word emotions scares you motionless. But we all seal off over the course of time our heart and our emotions and we seal it off not just from the people who hurt us, but given enough armor, we seal it off from everybody. Even the people who love us and can help us. We seal our hearts off from them as well. We seal our hearts off from the very thing Paul is trying to get us to face. We seal it off from love. And that is the danger of self-protected armor. It seals me off and it eventually suffocates me. Speaking of sealing off our hearts, listen to this quote by C.S. Lewis. He's a Christian writer from the early 20th century. He says this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxury and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or the coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, 
dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Through this series, the next five weeks, we're going to try to teach you how and encourage you to take off your self-protective armor. To experience the feeling of being vulnerable. And to make the courageous decision for you to step into your arena. But before we get there, there's two things I want to ask. Here's the first. I'm asking you, before you go any further in this life, will you become today a disciple of Jesus? I'm not talking about putting on that word Christian. I'm saying, will you become a disciple, a follower, a real follower, which means we're following, we're doing something, we are following following Jesus. Will you learn with us at Stuttgart Harvest Church how Jesus lived? And will you follow in as we are trying to do, follow in the footsteps of Jesus? Will you surrender? Will you surrender your life over to the care and the control of Jesus? Will you do that today? And you just simply say, Jesus, you died on the cross for me. I'm going to follow you. This life is yours. I choose you. I'm going to follow you. I'm not, it's, we're not talking about, will you attend church more? I hope you do come to all this series. And every series we do this year, I hope you will. But following Jesus is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Will you join us and really follow Jesus? And here's the second thing. Before you step into this relationship arena, you need to do some homework this week. And we have provided some homework for you in the hall as you leave, right before you hit the tiled floor, the blue-white tiled floor. On your right is a black table, and there are pieces of paper on there, and it has your homework. This week's homework, we're calling this 25 cents of matter. Will you take that sheet and please do some homework? I hope, listen, I hope we can encourage you, but I promise you this. The real work will happen in your arena, not in this room. We're going to prepare you and encourage you and teach you how to get into your arena. But the decision doesn't happen here. It happens as you do your homework, as you follow Jesus, as you do your homework. Will you please pick up a piece of paper? 
no matter how great or amazing your relationships are. Pick up a piece of paper. If your relationship is, is busted, pick up a piece of paper. It's in the hall. And if any of this can be an encouragement to anyone in your life, this will be on Facebook Live. It's being recorded right now. It'll be uploaded to SoundCloud if it's, you need an audio version. And then have them next week sitting right beside you. And let's learn how to take off this self-protective armor and how to step into the arena. Let's pray. Jesus, you told us that you have a better way. God, may we look to you to find that way. God, give us the courage in our relationships to fight against the right thing. Not the person, but shame. Give us the courage to step into the, the arena. Give us the courage to learn how to remove our armor. And give us the courage to learn how to live like you lived. How to love like you love. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray these things. Amen. Ain't no sunshine when I'm gone. It's not warm when I'm away. Every time I go straight